0: Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Suter. Join us each week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Much has been said in recent weeks about Rupert Murdoch, the controversial media mogul following his decision to step down as chairman of News Corp and Fox News. He came to dominate much of the media landscape at home and abroad, drawing bitter criticism for turning it into a toxic wasteland devoid of genuine journalism, and instead relying on sensationalism, salacious reporting and dirty tactics. So... How did this 22-year-old so-called labourite become the media czar we know him as today? Well, today, Keith and I are discussing a book that analyses the young Rupert and his rise to fame and power. Let's start at the beginning, Keith. Who's Rupert Murdoch? Yeah, so Rupert
1: Murdoch is the son of a very well-known Australian publisher, Sir Keith Murdoch, who helped manufacture the Anzac legend. Mm. So he's already earned himself a position in the history books. So his son comes along. The father dies quite early in his mid-60s. Young Rupert is at Oxford at the time, comes home, takes over the family business. The father was running a business, the Herald and Weekly Times, a huge newspaper in Australia, but realised that he was just basically an employee okay the most important one but basically an employee what he wanted is to create his own empire mm. so he told the board look i think given the size of our media empire and the hostility towards media monopolies i think we need to just sell off some of our media assets and find buyers etc mm. and so he got rid of some of the papers in south australia and what he didn't tell the board is that he bought them. <laughs> <laughs> oh so on the one hand, you know, he's chair of one business mm-hmm. and here he is the owner of another. You know, talk about conflicts of interest. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. So young Rupert comes home and has got this small rump of a little empire. Mm. Uh, he obviously doesn't get the Herald and Weekly Times, but not at that time, different later on. <laughs> but he he just has this little Adelaide afternoon newspaper. It's hard to imagine now when a city would have both a morning newspaper and an afternoon one.
0: It's Your mind boggles. It's a completely
1: different era. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he got the afternoon paper. He also picked up a couple of other papers, and there's also a woman's magazine, New Idea. Mm. That was how he started his uh, little media empire. The reason he gets a lot of attention is that what he did was absolutely an amazing achievement. Whether or not you like his... His viewpoint. I can mm-hmm. tell from your introduction, you don't like him. <laughs> I'm someone who's worked for him. I was a history correspondent for the Telegraph for many years. Okay. He always paid on time. I've got no problem with Rupert. He's a good boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's created this incredible empire. What's not covered in this book, the book I've been reading, by the way, is by Walter Marsh, who's an Adelaide journalist, called Young Rupert, The Making of the Murdoch Empire, which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Mm. Bringing the story right up to date, which obviously can't be done in this book, is that Murdoch, as you say, has sold off some of the assets, will remain around as chair, hovering in one capacity or another, which is what his father did. His father had heart problems, so he was going to stand down from the Herald and Weekly Times, but nonetheless was still around pulling strings. Mm -hmm. This is a Murdoch habit that they can't surrender. Can't let go. (laughs) Can't let go. No. And so Murdoch has now lived into his 90s, super fit, keeps marrying much younger women. Perhaps that helps to keep him going as well. Never know. And, of course, it's also the base of a TV program, in a sense, in the United States, looking at who's going to succeed him. But I think, obviously, one of his fears has been, you know, what's going to happen to the Murdoch Empire once he goes? My guess is that it'll be broken up quite quickly, and I think a lot of the children will say, we don't want the newspapers. They're mm. a dying industry, which is ironic because that's how their grandfather made his name.
0: Yeah,
1: This book is brilliant at dealing with the early years of Murdoch arriving in Adelaide, the old media establishment deciding, oh, we can do without this n- newcomer, particularly since he was not strictly Adelaide, he was mainly from Melbourne. Mm. They looked down on him, he despised him, they g- gave him a hard time. But he ended up fighting back and beating them. It's It's a really... Great story.
0: You've sold it to me. <laughs> I'll give it a read. I'll give it a go. The thing I found interesting is mention of his schooling years. He actually wasn't that great of a student, was he? No.
1: No, this is it's really quite fascinating. He's someone, obviously, he was able to learn on the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he went to an elite school in Victoria. Later on, Prince Charles was to go to the same school. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't perform well at school. Somehow got into Oxford, which I guess was the basis of the money that got him in and never, as far as I can tell, completed the degree because the father died and he had to to come home from Oxford to take over the property. And as a publisher, which is a phrase that he used for the first time probably in Australia, as publisher, he really was willing to be energetic. You know, his energy comes out of this book, you know, that you can tell that he's really a workaholic and if you look back at the, over the Murdoch family, over the generations—not just his father, but also his grandfather—who mm. uh, was legendary his own way in the Presbyterian Church—these are very energetic, hard-working Scots people. Mm-hmm. There is a story about the settlement of Australia that, um, told by a Catholic priest, I might say. Mm-hmm. That when it comes to settlement of Australia, the Anglicans made the laws, the Presbyterians made the money, the Methodists did the work, and the Catholics told the jokes. <laughs> And so he's very much in that Presbyterian mould of making the money. Mm -hmm. And so he really got to understand publishing. He'd worked a bit in um, as a cadet journalist. Uh, His father got him, if you like, vacation jobs, so to speak, in London with friendly publishers. But he really learnt on the job, wanted to get his head around stuff and clearly unbelievably energetic, Mm. the young man on the move and a risk taker.
0: Well, let's talk about that. He comes onto the scene in at the age of twenty-two, takes over, you know, a couple of small papers in Adelaide. What was his first foray into media in the Australian landscape like? What did he do?
1: So the, his first foray was this afternoon paper, mm. the Daily News, which obviously has since disappeared. He took that over. It was also a campaigning, crusading publisher, and so there was a an awful scandal involving a young itinerant Indigenous worker Mm. uh, by the name of Stuart, Max Stuart, who was accused of the murder and rape of a young white child and he was about to be executed. And the news took up the story. Mm. The fellow was illiterate and yet the statement, which is what got him convicted, because they had no other evidence, a fluently written police statement and, and people when they spoke to Stuart, realised that this guy couldn't cope with English. Mm. So how did he produce such a fluent statement? And so the murder of the young girl remains unexplained to this day. You've got three points of view. One is that Stuart did do it. The second is that he didn't do it. He was completely innocent. And the third one is that he may have done it, but was so badly treated by the police, it was a lack of due process. Mm. Rupert Murdoch came into that third category, that the the Indigenous worker had been very badly handled by a police force that were being pressured into finding somebody to convict and execute.
0: Mm.
1: I might just say that Stuart himself went to jail for a number of years and was was not executed but did go to jail for a few years, but later on became a model citizen and got to meet the Queen when she visited South Australia and Central Australia. Yeah. So that's what made his name. But also it looks as though it helped Murdoch to understand how the newspaper business operates. Mm. The backbone of newspapers is not readership. It's advertising. Mm. In the book it's disclosed that Myers were threatening which is a big departmental store, were threatening to pull out their advertising because of the more radical nature that the newspaper was following. Right. Of certainly getting the readers, mm. but you see, you end up with working class readers. So the word comes from Murdoch, and stop covering industrial disputes. We're not interested in the plight of the workers. We want personal finance, how everybody can become a successful shareholder, etc. Mm-hmm. So he was changing the readership because he didn't want poor people reading the paper. They could if they wanted to, but they weren't going to be the key customers for purchasing because they don't buy things. Yeah. And similarly, he wanted to hold on to the more expensive advertisers because they were the ones who were providing the money. hmm The first casualty of this realisation about how you made money with newspapers was, in fact, the editor Rowan Rivett, who himself was quite a grand figure mm. in Australian history. Yeah, and Rowan Rivett taken up the the Stewart case, led the campaign at one point, risking him and Murdoch going to jail for seditious libel. Wow! And Murdoch realised, look, I just can't cope with this guy. Okay, it's boosting the circulation, making a huge name for us, but we've got big-name advertisers threatening to withdraw from the paper. Mm-hmm. So he just sacked this old friend Rivet. Quite
0: ruthless. Ruthless is the word I'd use. <laughs> <laughs> This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter, and this week we're discussing the young Rupert Murdoch and his rise to media domination. Let's look at the book again. Young Rupert by Walter Marsh is the book that examines Murdoch's early years in the industry. What other insights does the author offer? I understand expansion was one of the big keys to Murdoch building his empire.
1: So Murdoch is a risk taker. This This comes out even as an undergraduate, the way that he drove cars. <laughs> flouted regulations, (laughs) Mm -hmm. those regulations for other people, they're not for me. (laughs) So he was a risk taker Mm. and his risks generally have paid off. He's willing to gamble in ways that other people were not willing to gamble. And so he then uh, wanted to move very quickly into television, which was the new emerging medium that meant that he had to improve his relations with government. So stop criticising governments. Remember, he was risking being put in prison for criticising the Premier of South Australia. He decided, oh, we better stop that because I want to cosy up towards the people who run this country and who issue television licences. So he's someone who is always one step ahead of the competition, someone who is always looking for the next opportunity. And so, you're right, the whole expansion issue, including into Western Australia, Mm. buying a newspaper there, flying there every weekend just to take control of the newspaper before it hit the stand. Mm. As I say, somebody who's incredibly energetic.
0: What were his critics saying about him when he was young? We know what they say now. <laughs> what was the reaction to the young Rupert Murdoch as he came storming into the media landscape in well, Australia? I think that
1: the media at that time were a very cosy, closed shop. Mm. Everybody looked after everybody else. People knew their place in the industry. And Murdoch saw this as ripe for disruption, as we would now call it. You could use Murdoch really is a study of disruption in economic terms Mm. in the way that he's gone about things. Because it's very easy for people, particularly if they're inheriting a going concern, simply to allow that going concern to tick over and reassure the workers there'll be no major changes. Whereas Murdoch was set out for disruption and has continued to be disruptive all the way along. Mm. He's a risk taker, but also an innovator. And is somebody who realises where you make your money. He's not interested in people talking about morality or anything like that. He's there to make money.
0: And I wanted to ask you about that as well. Some commentary I've read suggests that he gets blamed a lot for creating the current media landscape. I mentioned it in the intro, salacious (laughs) reporting, bit of a toxic wasteland at times, kind of devoid of genuine good journalism. But I've also read on the flip side that that was going to happen no matter what. He was just kind of the catalyst. Someone else or something else would have come along. We would have gone that way eventually. Would you agree? I
1: agree. Yeah, I think that what we've got now with the rise of mass literacy, you've got a market for people who just want salacious gossip. They're not that moral. We've Got a decline in religious values. Uh, we've, we've got a whole new social landscape, really. And he's playing to that new landscape. He's not yearning for an older one. He's just simply saying, well, how do we make money in the current one? He personally, I understand, I've never met him, but he personally is very conservative, so doesn't approve of some of the shots of the women that he puts in some of his publications. He would say, I just sell what people want. You've got two basic, let me just say, you've got two basic paradigms which I use in my lectures. On the one hand, you've got what I call the Lord Reith paradigm. Mm-hmm. Lord Reith formed the BBC. Right. And he said from the outset, we will give people what they need. Not Mm -hmm. what they want, but what they need. Shakespeare, ballet, opera, (laughs) high culture, right? (laughs) That's what they need. Yep. And we're going to give it to them on the BBC. Sure. And, of course, the BBC has an international reputation. It's the only British institution known around the world simply by its initials. It's quite an achievement on the part of Lord Reith, right? Now, that's one point of view. Mm -hmm. Murdoch is different. Murdoch would say, I sell what people want to buy. So if they want gynecological shots of women, I will provide that. Mm -hmm. You want the Bible? I'm the second largest publisher of Bibles in the world. Mm. You want maps? I'm the largest publisher of maps in the world. I just sell what people want to buy. Mm -hmm. So he's, if you like, a populist. He's market-driven. He makes no value judgment, even though personally he would not approve of some of the stuff that gets published in his media outlets. He doesn't see himself as a censor. He's very different from Lord Reith. Know, who insisted everybody be well, for example, on radio, everybody had to be well dressed. No one's going to see you, but somebody might walk past the studio mm-hmm. and they need to see you well dressed. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you had to come into the office well dressed. Murdoch, by contrast, a laissez faire attitude. We're just selling what people want to get. So you've got these two mm. contrasting visions about how you operate within the media. A good example of this is the old Soviet Union. There was a writer called Alexandra Solzhenitsyn who won a. Pulitzer Prize, the author of A Day in the Life of Ivan de and he ultimately, after winning the Nobel Peace Prize, was expelled from Russia. And he said, I will never return to Russia until my books are freely available to be read. Well, the Soviet Union has collapsed. His books are now available, but nobody bothers to read them. They want to read women's magazines or, you know, gossip magazines or whatever. Mm-hmm. They don't want to read these depressing stories about life on the gulag. (laughs) So, yeah, his books are available. Nobody wants to read them. Oh, gosh.
0: Murdoch, I think he's a polarising figure. Obviously, you can't deny his success, but... At the same time, as a journalist, there's a big part of me that kind of laments where Australian media has gone in a lot of senses. There's still great programs like this one, obviously. Before I let you go, Keith, what do you think Rupert Murdoch's legacy will be?
1: Well, he'll be remembered as one of the greatest Australians of his generation. Highly controversial, but that's what I think. Mm -hmm. When you look at the impact that he's had on the world, not just Australia, far more so than any Australian politician. Got the ability to and his father, for that matter, bring politicians to power or remove them from power. He was a key player in the election of the Whitlam government in 1972 Mm. and a key player in Whitlam never returning to power after the dismissal in 1975. So I think whether you like him or loathe him, right, Mm -hmm. he has had a huge influence, the biggest newspaperman of his time in the world. There's been nobody really... To rival him and he is very much a newspaper person rather than television and of course newspapers are on the way out and so in a sense he was a product of his time and that time is now changing
0: hopefully for the better <laughs> Keith, thanks for your time thank you <laughs> global truths is presented by dr keith suitor and me sasha Barbara gatt audio production by nyle fernandez theme and original music by matt nikolic